Thank you for watching this online message from Riverstone Church. We hope that this content encourages you and helps you further develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit riverstonechurch.net. There you can learn more about us, view additional messages, submit your prayer needs, and even give online. Thank you for watching, and may the Lord richly bless you. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Let's turn together to Ephesians chapter 5. Looking at verses 22 through 33 this morning, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33 this morning, working our way through the book of Ephesians. My hope has been to get through by Thanksgiving. I hope that will be the case. We'll look at verse 22 this morning as we read the word of the Lord together. It says, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Lord, we pray your blessings upon the public reading of Scripture this morning. We thank you, God, once again for your presence that is here. And we pray, Lord, that you would lead us through the preached word for our good and for your glory. We thank you for it, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated this morning. Amen. We thank the Lord for his goodness. We are grateful for God's presence and what God is doing uh, in our midst as a congregation of people, uh, what he's doing in our life. I'm thankful for what God's doing in my life, how God is moving and changing me, and I pray that that is uh, the case for you. Uh, until we take our last breath, God's desire on this earth is that we would be formed more and more into his image and into his likeness. So as long as you and I are taking in God's air, he is still working in us, using us, and uh, calling us to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm grateful for what God is, is doing. Tonight at 7 p.m., uh, I know some of the advertising has said 6 p.m., 7 p.m. tonight, uh, we will gather together with several other churches in uh, the Northern Albemarle and Greene County area. We'll gather right here at Riverstone tonight to pray and intercede uh, for our community. And so I'm going to uh, really earnestly encourage you to be here tonight at 7 p.m., if at all possible, uh, because I truly believe that this is a work of the Lord. I truly believe that God is in this. Uh, God is calling us to be unified together. I believe in what the Lord is doing uh, in the lives of uh, some of these brethren uh, who are leading these churches, and I also believe in what God is doing in the churches themselves. And so I don't think this is just another service that we're advertising for you to come to. I believe that this is something very unique and special. And tonight we're praying in anticipation of uh, next weekend on the 5th, where there will be an open uh, worship and intercession and time of preaching 
uh, up at the barn in Rockersville off of Fredericksburg Road. And there's uh, directions online if you need those. So tonight and next Saturday at 5 p.m. If you're available on Friday evening, we'll meet up at the barn around 7 to set up chairs and get things together uh, for that following evening. Some of these announcements have already been mentioned. I do just want to share them again. Uh, that uh, we have uh, tomorrow evening the trunk retreat from 6 to 8 p.m. Everyone is welcome to be a part of that. Tomorrow is uh, Reformation Day. So 505 years ago, uh, on the 31st of October, uh, Martin Luther, who uh, was a uh, priest, wrote up uh, a list of his uh, protestations against the, the Catholic Church, so abuses that he felt were happening in the church of the day. And he took those, and as would happen in that day, when there was an announcement uh, to be made, it would often be nailed to uh, the church door. And so he was in a uh, place called uh, Wittenberg or Wittenberg, uh, Germany, and at the church door there, he took these uh, letters or uh, theses that he had written, and he nailed them to the church door as an act of protest to some of the abuses of the Catholic Church at the time. Uh, the chief among them being the selling of indulgences. If you paid enough money, you could absolve yourself of your sin in this life and in the life to come. So there was, you know, building programs that were happening. And in order to encourage people to give, uh, we would say, hey, if you will give a certain amount of money, we will pray that your sins will be absolved. And not just sins that you have committed, but sins that you commit in the future. And so Luther protested against that. And that is why in our day we have come to be known as Protestants, because we protested uh, the church of the day 505 years ago. So something mighty happened to begin reforming the church. And in the reforms of the church, what happened was they wanted to get the gospel into the hands of the common man. Up until that day, the scriptures could only be read by those who were educated within the church to be able to read the scriptures. And so if you were to have gone to a mass or something of that time, you wouldn't probably have most likely not quite been able to understand what was going on. And so there begins this push to put the gospel or to put the scriptures in the language of the common man. And so we are beneficiaries of those who have actually given their lives today to be able to even hold this word in its form and to be able to read it in our own languages. To be able to read it for ourselves, we're a beneficiary of a movement that was stirring 505 years ago tomorrow. And so what we do today can impact people centuries in the future should the Lord tarry. And so I pray that we're doing things and we're focusing on things that are of an eternal significance and importance. Because we are much, uh, to, we are much to the benefit of those who have gone before us. Final announcement as we move into the message is that November 10th through the 12th is a marriage retreat. We're focusing on marriage today. Again, as you know, I preach uh, through the scriptures generally uh, expository, meaning go from one passage to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, until we get through a specific chunk of scripture. And today the focus is on marriage. And this is actually the last weekend that you can register for the marriage retreat. And so I don't think that's by coincidence. Uh, I think it's by God's design to encourage some of you who may have been holding out. Uh, please register. I'm going to encourage you. Yes, it's $300. Yes, inflation is up. And yes, that's a lot of money. But I can tell you, you won't find that kind of deal anywhere for two nights away and five meals covered, plus all of the resources that uh, you'll be given. The church has already got that cost down by contributing to everyone. If you don't have the resources to go, we want to help you. And so no one should stay home because you don't have the resources. 
All you need to do is let me know. We don't publish it in the bulletin. <laughs> uh, we don't tell other people about it. Uh, just let me know, and we'll get you what you need in order to be able to go. But I want to encourage you to go. And I, uh, Brother Mark uh, Miller will be in the back of the sanctuary at the end of service if you have any questions. He's leading it. I believe the Lord has gifted him in that ministry, and I truly believe that you'll be blessed. Uh, my wife and I, uh, throughout our marriage, try to avail ourselves of those things because it's important. And in our culture and in our day, it's, it is so important. Look into the word of the Lord this morning. Over the last several weeks, we have been talking about unity uh, in the faith, unity in the church, unity among us as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Over the last several weeks, that focus of that unity has been specifically to uh, those of us in the church, how we interact with one another. Last week, we talked uh, specifically about living in the light, uh, allowing the light of the Lord to shine in our life, that we are free from sin, and we can then walk by the Spirit of, of the Lord, that we can live in the Spirit and we can walk by His Spirit. We can be filled with His Spirit. And Paul really continues that discussion this morning as he talks about husbands and wives and the relationship of husbands and wives together. Now, I know when I begin to preach a message on marriage or husbands and wives, that there are those who would say, well, I'm not married, uh, I'm single, uh, or my, my spouse has passed away, or I've never been married, or I'm divorced, and all those certain situations, you may think, well, I just probably am going to tune this one out. And I'm going to say to you, please don't tune it out. Please don't tune it out for several reasons, and one of the main reasons is that we need to pray for a biblical foundation for marriages within our church. And so, no matter where you are, young or old, married or single, we have to understand what the will of the Lord is, and it's the will of the Lord that there would be strong marriages. It's the will of God that marriages would be strengthened to His glory because He has ordained marriages for a very specific purpose, and that is to reflect his relationship with the church. I want to kind of fill some background information here and also speak to some of the issues within our culture today as we try to contextualize or put this message, put these scriptures with uh, application to you and I in 20 and 22. In the beginning of the book of Genesis, God created an adult male and, adult, and an adult female in the Garden of Eden. The Bible is very specific about that. He created them male and female for the purpose of populating the earth and exercising dominion over the earth. In the very beginning, there was a uniting of one man and one woman who were commissioned for a purpose by God himself. In the New Testament, Jesus affirmed marriage simply by his presence at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. That was where he did his first miracle of turning the water into wine. And here in Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul speaks of marriage as a symbolic image of Christ and his church, the coming together of man and woman as being a symbolic image of Christ and the church. So what I want to communicate to you is from the very beginning in the book of Genesis throughout Scripture, God has time and time again brought us back to this picture and understanding of what it means to be a man and a woman living in unity together for the glory of God. Marriage is also a place where the ministry of the Holy Spirit works in order to bring biblical unity for God's glory. If your house is not in order, the church is not in order. And so we want to get ourselves in line, our houses in line, so that God's church is in line, so that then when we pray and we seek Him after revival, we're in unity and one accord within ourselves and the struggles that we fight within ourselves, with our relationships with those who are in our family, and also in the relationships that we have with one another within the church. Unity from one step to the other. 
In verse 22, we might wonder why is this particular section it almost seems like a disconnect. And just a reminder, in your, in your Bible, when they wrote the Scriptures, there were no headings that were put above certain sections. There were no chapter numbers when the Bible was originally written. There were no verse numbers when the Bible was originally written. And so when we look at this in our mind, because even in, in my Bible here, I have a heading over verse 22 that says, I don't have my glasses, <laughs> marriage, marriage like Christ and the church. That's, this is the problem when you get old. As I'm noticing, as I preach throughout the years, I'm getting closer and closer. <laughs> the heading wasn't there in the original writing. The verses weren't there. So these are connected thoughts that the Apostle Paul has. In our day, when we read the Scriptures, we might tend to think, oh, this is a totally different section, like we would read a different section in a news article. It's not the case in this. He was writing a clear article in which all of these things are connected together. It was a timely message that addressed specific issues within the Ephesian church between men and women. And I think about our own culture, and marriage has certainly fallen on hard times because that has been unhinged or unmoored from its biblical roots. Marriages in previous times were performed by pastoral leaders within the confines of the church. Now they're performed by anybody you want, anywhere you want, almost any time you want. It's been disconnected from its gospel purpose to be a symbol of Christ and His church and the love that Jesus has for us as His body. It has lost its value in society and it's become disposable. People get married, exchange vows, fail to keep those vows, get divorced, and do the process all over again. And I'm not saying because we live in a broken world, what I want you to know, if you've been through a process of divorce, that sometimes sin comes in. And I realize that there are things that happen at times that require a legal separation or a legal pulling apart because of sin. But because of sin, we have to understand that was not God's original design. And so what I have to preach to you is God's original intent and design. And if you've been through that, anyone who has walked through a divorce will tell you that it's horrible. Just the process. Whether it was necessary or needed, there are times when sin enters in and there is abuse. There is unfaithfulness. That's the fallen world that we live in. And as the church, we have to recognize that. We try to save those marriages. We try to keep them together. But sometimes it doesn't happen. But as the church, if we're unified in what the foundation of marriage should be, if a man is committed to marriage and a woman is committed to marriage and a man is committed to Jesus and living by his Holy Spirit and a woman is committed to Jesus and living by his Holy Spirit, we can establish a foundation where there is at least a bedrock of truth. So I want you to hear me this morning, no matter what your background, no matter where you came from, no matter your situation or circumstance that you find yourself in, what I'm seeking to preach to you this morning is the Word of God as God has intended it. And understand that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Our culture, generally, those outside the church, seem to no longer have an expectancy of marriage for a lifetime. When we think about what is in the news so often lately, the idea of the confusion of the genders has been accepted as normative into the mainstream of society, and it lays the axe at the root of male and female relationships. It's a push in our culture towards androgyny. And it makes it difficult, in some cases, to even know 
who a man and a woman are. Gender confusion used to be addressed through counseling the mind to bring it into conformity with the biology of the body. So were you gender confused, what, five years ago? Ten years ago? You may go to a counselor, and the counselor will try to help you comprehend in the mind and bring the mind into alignment with the biology of the body. That has quickly shifted to now accepting the mind as it is and surgically or chemically changing the body to match what's going on in the mind. So much so that states in our own country are making it illegal to even be able to counsel someone who is confused about their gender, to even talk to them about it, but we have to accept as reality what's going on in the mind and accept the remedy is to begin chemically and surgically changing the body in order to match the deception that exists within the mind. So when we talk about male and female relationships as a pastor, I have to look at these things that are going on in our culture because I have to consider and think about the things that our young people are facing, and not just our young people, but also all of us. There will be a time when a me preaching a message such as this will be illegal. We have to recognize that. So there is a, I believe, spiritual attack. See, these things that we see in the world ought not surprise us. We ought to realize that those things are coming. What ought to surprise us is when we see churches begin to accept it. That ought to be a shock and a surprise to us because doctrinally, we can't get there. We want to love people. We want to care for people. We want to walk along with people and help them to be in the light. But we cannot preach doctrines of full acceptance of people who need the power of the Holy Spirit at work in their life, people who need to be set free. So we're fighting a spiritual battle. I believe it's an attack when we, from the enemy. I believe it's an attack from the enemy. And ultimately, I want you to think about it in this way, that God said in the book of Genesis, male and female, he said in the book of Genesis, be fruitful and multiply. When as a culture, we begin to accept as normative the surgical and chemical means in which to try to make someone feel as though they're someone else when in actuality they never will be. But what it will do is prevent them from having children. And ultimately, I think that's the grand goal. Uh, Call me a conspiracy theorist if you want. <laughs> but as I look at the scriptures and I think about the scriptures and I think about what is going on within our culture, the attack is against training our children up in the ways of the Lord. When we talk about even things, you know, I don't want to get in the scientific debate of all of these things, but even when we talk about notions such as climate change, does the climate change? Yes, we're in the fall and it just was summer. It's going to be winter, and then it's going to be spring again. The Bible tells us that these things are going to continue to happen. The Bible also tells us, and science tells us, there are cycles in weather. So, yes, we can say, oh, it snowed horribly when I was a kid. Yes, because there are sometimes 40 and 50-year cycles in weather. So, yes, I do believe in climate change in that way. But what I don't believe in climate change is that when we have to stop populating, we have to say that children are no longer a blessing. We have to say that we shouldn't have any more children. You've got too many kids taking up too many resources. 
And you shouldn't have any more. That's not what the Scripture tells us. In fact, the Scripture says that children are a joy and a blessing and a heritage. And we ought to be a church that embraces that. But I want you to know and understand that our culture doesn't embrace that. Everything that is being thrown at the church today is being thrown in order to stop the promotion of the gospel from one generation to the next. And now it's trying to be codified into law. So we could say years ago, you be you. You do you. I'll do me. And that's okay. We can't do that anymore because the law comes and says, no, you can't preach that. You can't counsel that. You can't say that. And so we begin elevating abortions and mass abortions up until the time of, uh, of birth and even after things that would have been ungodly, unfrightful, things that would have produced riots in times past. And now it just seems as normative. A spiritual attack. So what I hope you come away with simply by the introduction of this message is that what the Apostle Paul is talking to us about in chapter 5, verses 22 through 33 is not something that we can just sort of put on the shelf and say, well, that doesn't apply to me because I'm single, because I don't have children, because whatever. It applies to all of us. And our earnest prayers must be such that marriages are strong in God's kingdom because they reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to assure you, God will win. God is winning. You'll increasingly see evidence of the kingdom of darkness, but you will also increasingly see evidence of the kingdom of light. And I think the Lord Jesus talked about this in the parable of Matthew chapter 13, starting at verse 29. It's a parable where the uh, the workers in the master's field went out and sowed very good seed. And in the night, someone came and sowed weeds among the seed. And as things started to grow, the workers saw the weeds growing up with the good seed and what was being produced. And they went to the master and said, what happened here? Someone has come and they've sown bad seed. They've sown weeds among the good seed that we had already sowed. Should we go in and pull out the weeds in your field? And he says, no, don't pull out the weeds. Let them grow together. And in the end, or in the last days, or at the end of time, we will go in and we will begin to separate some to be burned and some to be brought into the storehouse. So the idea and the concept that Jesus is communicating is as these things grow together in the time of the end, it will be very evident to the workers when they come into the harvest field, they will see, oh, this is absolutely a weed. This is absolutely something that's going to produce good fruit. So as we move farther and farther along in the end days, expect the light to shine and expose the darkness. And so we should rejoice in those things. So to focus us in here on our text, Paul is affirming that marriage between a man and a woman is important, is godly, is good. It's good for a man and a woman to be married. And he's speaking to the beautiful distinctiveness of that marriage of men and women as they are unified together to show forth the gospel. Two simple points. First, the beauty of the church in faithful wives. The beauty of the church shown through faithful wives. Paul begins verse 22 with a command. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. This is to be done because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is head of the church. Now, I will affirm to you that this passage has been twisted in both directions. It had been twisted by husbands who want to make a wife a punching bag. 
and they want the wife to do everything they say on command when they say. It has also been twisted in other ways to say, well, this doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't mean that wives have to be subject to their own husbands. It doesn't mean that at all. Paul was just speaking to a specific culture, a specific time, and it doesn't mean anything to us today. And that's not true either. This passage does mean something to us, and we have to deal with it. And I'll tell you, as a pastor, when I get to a passage like this, I get nervous. (laughs) Number one, because I want to hear from the Lord and I want it to be right. I don't want to be wrong on this issue. I don't want to live wrong. I don't want to teach you wrong. To be clear, what I fully believe the Apostle Paul is not communicating is that women are not inferior to men in any way. That has been used at times to throw a sledgehammer on the life of a woman. Women can think just as well as men. They have IQs just as high as men. They can conceptualize just as well as men. They can understand Scripture just as well as men. In those ways and in many ways, there is no distinction in the ability of women to operate or live or understand or know. They are not inferior to men in any type of way in which we would categorize inferiorness. They are no less able to contribute to the kingdom. Women contribute to the kingdom in great and mighty ways. The history of world World missions is often, uh, the story is often told of women who were willing to sacrifice everything and step on the mission field. Just this week, we were talking about the missionary that, uh, of, of the, SB, the, the Southern Baptist uh, Convention that's often held up is Lottie Moon. Lottie Moon was right here in Albemarle County and went to First Baptist Church. And they wouldn't send her on the mission field, and she decided to go anyway. And she went on the mission field and she transformed people's hearts and she transformed people's lives by what she taught and what she did. And she gave of her own food and her own means to help other people to where she lost 60 pounds, already a small woman of stature. And some ladies who knew what she was doing got together and started taking up an offering for Lottie Moon and to send it to her so that she would have enough for her and for the children that she was working with. And that became the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. That is one of the biggest missions offering that the Southern Baptist Convention takes up. There's a valuable contribution of women in the church. And so nothing I would say or nothing I would communicate or nothing the scriptures would communicate would diminish that contribution. Nonetheless, there are differences in men and women. I would say those differences are complementary, meaning they fit together beautifully. We love to tell our children, when you grow up, you can be anything you want to be. And we pride ourselves on that ideal and that notion. Tell the 18-year-old young man who is five foot three, you're going to be a pro basketball player. probably not going to happen. (laughs) There are some things that just simply by our makeup, by our biology, by how God has created us, that we are not going to do. But that doesn't mean that we are inferior. What it means is he has a different role. And there is a role for men and women. Incidentally, men will never, ever give birth. Ever. Never, ever, ever. Amen. (laughs) It is a role that God has not given to us. When my first son was being born, the nurse told me to sit down because I looked like I was going to pass out. (laughs) I felt like I was going to pass out. I was not created for that burden. There are distinctions. There are things and ways in which we are born in which those things are just going to be natural occurrences. Paul says, wives, part of your role is to be subject. Some versions say submit to your own husband. So if you are married, the command here is to the wife to be subject to your own husband. And the reason you are doing this, and I think this is very key, the reason 
you are doing this, is that you are doing this as a service unto the Lord. You are willingly submitting yourself to your husband, not because he is regarded as the Lord. And this is how crazy I've heard people talk about this. They would say, I heard, I've heard this with my own ears in a session I was in one time. That wives, you're to regard your husband as the Lord. Even maybe when he comes home, you would say to him, welcome, my Lord. Now try that one on Nicole McCready. <laughs> That's not what this passage is speaking to. What this passage is speaking to is submit to your husband, not because he is to be regarded as Lord, but because your submission to your husband is an act of worship to the Lord. Verse 24 makes it even more challenging because it says this submission is to be in everything. Not just what is convenient or what seems positive at the moment. And believe me, I understand and know all the questions that would come with that. What if he's asked me to do something that's not of the Lord? What if there's something that doesn't seem right in my eyes? How does that work? We'll talk about those things. I believe that God has called his righteous men to lead. So it's not mean that women cannot lead or should not lead. But I do believe it means that men should lead in some way. If you're a brother in the kingdom, I believe that you should be setting the pace, charting the course, running ahead. And when a husband is following the Lord, wives, when he's following the Lord, Follow him as he follows Christ. When your husband's seeking to be earnest and he's seeking to love the Lord with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength as an act of worship unto God, follow him as he follows Christ. When he's pursuing God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength, when he's doing everything he can to please Jesus, follow him as he follows Christ as an act of worship to the Lord. Show deference to his sensitivity, to the leading of the Lord. This is why it's essential for us as believers to pray for solid biblical marriages. The questions about husbands who are not believers and husbands who are not acting in the Spirit of Christ. Again, what I would encourage you ladies is first to pray for the salvation of your husband. If you're here this morning, I grew up with parents who one was a believer and one wasn't. I grew up in a situation where my parents would even argue about church. Where in the early days, I remember arguments about my mother even taking my brother and I to church. Loud arguments. I know what it's like to be in a house like that. I know what it's like to be in a situation where there's an unequal yoking. And what I can do is I can, I can see what my mother did and often took it to the Lord in prayer. As best she could, allowing my father to lead. But even more so, seeking and praying for God's earnest wisdom. Seeking and praying for God to move. Seeking and praying for God to bless him that the family would be blessed. Seeking and praying that he would come to a saving knowledge of the Lord. And as long as you can do that, you ought to do that. At times this passage has been twisted for ladies to feel like that you have to stay in an abusive marriage. That is not the case. It is not the gospel designed for you to remain in a marriage where you are being abused. You need to get help if that's you this morning. There needs to be help. God has not called you to be a punching bag for a man. There are places, amen. But as I said in the beginning, the biblical ideal, what, what the Bible says 
marriage ought to be is what we have to shoot for. Understanding that there is sin all around that we have to deal with and help pull up towards this. Pull up towards the biblical goal. While preaching and teaching what the scriptures have said. The glory of the church is found in faithful wives. As that picture is beautifully shown in a husband and wife's relationship, as a wife willfully allows a husband who is seeking the Lord and she's following him as he's following Christ, that shows forth the church in all of its glory as we ought to stand and we ought to be as God's people. In love with Jesus, following his lead. Paul says this is a great mystery, how all this works together. If the apostle Paul didn't understand it, I might be having a struggle this morning. (laughs) But the beauty is, what we understand, what we do know, is that ladies... As you fulfill a role of willingly loving your husband when he's that biblical man, God's man, seeking after God, heart after him, when you're willing to walk beside him and allow him to lead, that is a beautiful symbolic picture of Christ in the church. Secondly, in verse 25, the scripture says, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Just as women are to subject themselves out of a heart of worship to the Lord, men are to love their wives by giving fully of ourselves. Husbands are to love our wives by giving ourselves fully to them. I know at times my wife and I may be sitting across the table from one another and I may be reading something, looking at something, and if she's talking to me and I'm either looking or reading, she does not feel as though I'm engaged at all with what she's saying. She doesn't feel as though I am listening. And she feels most loved when I am present and engaged in her world. I do fail to meet that standard often. But I strive for my wife to know that I am concerned about where she is. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ sacrificed everything for the church. Husbands, are you willing to sacrifice everything for your wives? At times when your wife needs you, your wife needs you to engage in the family. Your wife needs you to engage in her life. Are you going to be present? Are you willing to set aside things that otherwise would take your mind away? Are you willing to push back on the desire to continually be productive and work and earn an income and have all these things going on to simply be present with your wife because she needs your presence? Are you willing to look with your eyes around your home and see what needs to be done in order to care for and love your wife? Love your wife as Christ loved the church so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Husbands, part of your role is to help your wives be the best that they can be in Christ, and in the end, it will bless you immeasurably. Unfortunately, what I often see is ladies who are so earnest and passionate about the Lord, who are longing after God, who are willing to sing and praise Him and exalt Him and be involved in the work, while the brothers tend to be in the background. God has not called it to be that way. Your wife, brothers, wants you to be engaged in the spiritual things. 
She wants you to lead in the spiritual things. She wants you to step forward, and some of you are. This word, when it says to, to wash her with the water of the word, the word there, the, the word in the Greek is rhema. Rhema means to say or to speak or to utter a definite word. And this is in distinction to the other word, I know this may get confusing, the other word used for word in the New Testament, which is logos. So logos is the word in its entirety. Rhema is a specific spoken word. And so in John chapter 1, when it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, the word there in the original language is logos. The word Jesus was the Word in its entirety. He was the Word made flesh. The entire spoken Word of God was resident in Jesus in the flesh. So the word here in this passage that says washing with the water of the Word, the word there is that definitive spoken Word. So what it's saying is the Logos, the Word, washes the church with the definitive spoken Word. So in our relationship, husbands, with our wives, part of what we ought to be doing is in the Word of God, finding ourselves in the Scriptures, praying for a move of the Holy Spirit in our life, that the Scriptures themselves are illuminated to us, that we can share with our wives a fitting Word in a fitting season. We have to be men of the Word. And there is so much that seeks to pull us away from that time in God's Word in order that we can help wash our wise with the water of the word. What we want to say is, well, she don't clean that like I think she needs to clean it. She didn't cook that like I thought she needed to cook it. My house, I come home and it is a mess. What are we doing? Instead of speaking the truth and the power and the glory of God's word over our spouse, we're spewing curses and innuendo. We're called, brothers, to be men of the word who are willing, like Christ, he loved the church so much that his entire focus has been the redemption of a people to himself. And as brothers, our focus must be, if God has called us to marriage, our focus must be that we are in the word and order that at the right moment we can speak to our wives and lift them up into the word, that they're called to the word. They love the word. They love being with us because what we talk about is the word. Honey, here's what I'm seeing in God's Word. Here's what I'm thinking about in God's Word. This is what God is revealing to me by His Spirit. Men, be in the Word. Be in the Word, brothers. I'm not beating you over the head this morning. I'm encouraging you and trying to say, step up into what God has called you to be. And when you step up into what God has called you to be, your wife is going to be drawn to you in such a way that it will be glorious and beautiful and more than what you ever hoped or dreamed it could be. God's Word works. Be a man of the Word. As I preach, I'm preaching the gospel. I'm preaching the word of God. I'm relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to apply it in a specific situation to a specific people in this room. And this is how Christ works to sanctify us uh, by applying his word to our lives. And that ought to happen in the home. One theologian said the homes ought to be little churches. Little churches in your home. I, I get it. I understand that things nip at your heels for time, that things pull at you, work, people, family, other things pull at you. But in this day, in this season, in this time, in this culture, God is calling us to be more focused, more diligent, more laser-like than I believe any other time in which we have existed. Husbands ought to love their wives 
has their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, and no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are parts of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Paul says this mystery is great. I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church, meaning the, the, the beautiful togetherness of Christ and the church is a mystery. But in order to show forth the grace and the glory of God, God has designed that a man should leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And those two shall become one flesh. Paul is clear that for the man, there is a transition that must happen. The Christian man is to leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife so that they are one flesh together. Brothers, your first priority, if you are married, your first priority, brethren. Brethren, if you are married, your first priority after the Lord Jesus Christ is your wife, not your mother. After the Lord Jesus Christ, your first priority, brothers, is your wife, not your mother. This doesn't mean that we, don't, that we quit honoring our parents. But it does mean that your wife should never feel sidelined by your family. Your wife should never feel like she's off at the side while you're over here with your family doing all their bidding and she has some things that she needs to have attention on and you're not willing to do it because mama says. When a husband and wife are joined together, they are a distinct family unit. Whether you have children or you don't have children, you're a family if you're in marriage. And there are times when that separation doesn't happen. And it needs to happen. Brothers, after the Lord, your first priority is for your wife and not your mother. He goes on and he says, Nevertheless, as for you individually, each husband is to love his own wife the same as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. There is a, there is a book there um, that has been written probably about 20 years ago called Love and Respect, and it focuses in on that passage by a guy named Emerson Egricks. I think it's a very good book, and uh, from what I recall of, of reading it, and I would encourage you, if you have time, you may want to pick it up and read through it, uh, because there are certain things in nature, in our human nature, that God, uh, that we may struggle with, and husbands at times it's showing that love for your wife and wives at times it's showing the respect that your husband needs. The book does a good job of articulating that. So as we read through this last portion of this passage, the overarching perspective is of a husband who is God's man. And as God's man, you want your wife to be loved, you want your wife to be encouraged, and you want your wife to be well cared for. Now, I think I probably have about stepped on everyone's toes here this morning. <laughs> and what I'd like us to do is pray. Because I can tell you, in earnestness, I believe that the attack on marriage is significant, not just simply a cultural issue. I do believe that it is a spiritual battle that the church has to engage, which is why we are doing things to encourage you in your marriage. As a church, we want to do what we can, how we can help, what we can do in order to help save your marriage. If you're struggling this morning, that's my word to you. Get help. Get help. Get help. I also want to share with you this morning that if you have been through a challenging marriage and it has come to a conclusion and you sit here this morning and you think back over that time, 
I want to reaffirm to you today that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He forgives. And whether it was your fault or someone else's fault or a little bit of both, understand and know that God has grace for you. He has love for you. He has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. And that purpose will be fulfilled. And should God bring to you someone else in the future, rest yourself right here in Ephesians chapter 5. Rest yourself right here. Ladies, don't find somebody who's just an emotion, going to give you an emotional attachment. Find a guy that's got a job. Find a... <laughs> and loves Jesus. First. <laughs> first, yeah. <laughs> and I would also say to you, Bring your church family into it. Because we've prayed for discernment in this congregation. We're asking God to give discernment to people. Bring your church family into it. And the people you can trust and you can see and say, I want you to meet this person. I want to see what you think. Don't give your heart away too soon. Whether you're a young person who's never been married one of the things that we've tried, I, 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 I'm concluding, one of the things that we've tried to teach our children, if you're a young person and you've never been married, don't awaken love before it's time. Don't awaken the passions before it's time. Who you're looking for, young man, young lady, is a lifetime husband or wife, to spend a lifetime with, dating just for the purpose of having somebody to do something with on a Friday night is foolish. And it seeks to arouse passions within us before it's time. What I can assure to you is at the right time, God will bring the right person in the right season. You pray, you pray, you seek him, you long after him. In the right time, God will bring the right person in due season. Because I feel so strongly about marriages, about the role of men and women, if you're here this morning and you're married, whether your spouse is here or not with you, I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. If you're married, your spouse is whether your spouse is with you here or, or not, I'm going to ask you uh, to stand. Amen. Now what Paul says to you is that to this church, those who are here within the congregation, that union between husband and wife, people should be able to look at you and surmise by your interaction with one another that that relationship is reflective of Christ and His sacrificial love for the church and the church's love and desire to follow the plan of God in Christ. That's what Paul is saying here in Ephesians chapter 5. Nicole, will you join me? It is to our benefit as a church that we have strong marriages. It is to our benefit that with everything that is within us, we try to help one another keep the marriage vows that we made so long ago. As a dad, what I'm seeing right now, my children are beginning to make their exit. There'll come a day when I'm probably in my 60s and the last one's going to go off to college. 
or go off and get married or go off and whatever God has for them in a career field. But by God's grace, this woman will still be there. This is my first, in terms of human affection, my first and I would say even only love. Because I thought I knew love before I met this woman, but when I met her, I realized I never did. Our stories were different. As we walked along the early road, she never dated, never had a relationship with another boy until we began to see one another. My path was a little different. But what I know is we have committed ourselves together and we set our vows on June the 26th, 1999. There's going to come a day when the kids are gone and it's going to be her and I. All the teaching of kids in the home is going to be gone. All of those things will pass and it will be her and I together. And this relationship has to reflect to my kids, to my grandkids, to this church family, what this word says. But it's not just for the pastor. It's for every single one of us. And so this relationship, your relationships, being strong in the Lord and strong in his word is essential for the work of revival that I believe God wants to do in our community. It's essential for the work of unity that God wants to bring within our fellowship and within our congregation. So as we're standing together, those of you who are married, those of you...